good to be with you all tonight. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Dan Mackett. And I'm married to my wife, Alyssa. We have a one year, almost a one-year-old son, Jones. Can you all hear me better? Great. Uh, we've been at Delray for about three and a half years, uh, and last year had the opportunity to do the internship part-time, and it's a, it's a joy to be with you guys today. I can't really see you, but hello uh, to those of you on my right. Well, if you're like me, 2020 has felt like a large and extended season of being in a storm. Because of this pandemic, some of you, some of us, have experienced financial distress, losing jobs or pay that you needed to come in. Some of us have experienced abnormal levels of anxiety, loneliness, or stress. And some of you have dealt with really the frailty of our bodies, either you being sick or your loved ones enduring this pandemic. And it's been a difficult year and one that none of us expected. None of us would have known that COVID-19 would have hit in 2020. When the storms of life strike, like COVID, how do your conversations with Jesus go? Are you prone to question his goodness, thinking that the situation he has you in couldn't possibly be for your good? Are you prone to doubt his sovereignty, thinking that he doesn't have the power to actually deliver you? Are you prone to turn to someone or something besides Jesus to help you through that trial or to numb the pain, whether it's entertainment or endlessly working? Or do you run to his word to find his very great and precious promises that can provide refuge for your soul? Well, as someone who's struggled with severe anxiety and panic attacks for most of my life, I can think of many moments in my life where the storm came. And when the storm came, I would often forget the promises and the goodness of God and instead run towards people for comfort, to anyone besides Jesus. But each time I ran towards people, I may have received temporal relief, but my heart was just as anxious as before the storm and during the storm. But each time God would graciously spur me on towards Jesus to run to him, I would find a peace that nothing in the world could offer. Not only would he bring about a peace that surpassed understanding, but I would learn about my heart. I would learn about the ways that God was still cutting off unfruitful vines from my heart that were suffocating me from experiencing the freedom of the grace that is in Christ. So tonight, it's important for us to pause to reflect upon the fact that storms are here and they're going to come just as Jesus said they would. But more importantly, we must reflect upon the heart and presence of Jesus in the storm to strengthen us for the road ahead. For the road ahead. Tonight, we're going to see how Jesus' disciples handled a major storm in their journey of learning who Jesus was. That he wasn't just a great teacher, but he was the Lord of all. The Lord of creation, the Lord of life, the Lord of death, and the Lord of salvation. So if you pull out your phones or if you have your physical Bibles, let's turn to Mark 4, and we're going to read verses 35 through 41 together. Mark 4, verses 31, or 35 through 41. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? 
And he awoke and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to the disciples, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So while we're going to focus on the disciples' question to Jesus in the middle of the passage, to fully understand the heart behind the question and Jesus' gracious response, we'll walk through the storyline of the entire text. And in this text, we see really four movements. First, we see a great word from Jesus. Then we see a great storm. Thirdly, a great rebuke. And then fourthly, a great reckoning. And these movements lead us towards our main point for tonight, which is this. In every storm of life, Jesus is the sovereign king who saves and sustains his people by his word. In every storm of life, Jesus is the sovereign king who saves and sustains his people by his word. So in the first movement, Jesus gives his disciples a great word. After a long day of teaching the crowds and parables, Jesus says to his disciples, let's go across to the other side. Jesus both commands his disciples what to do and where to go. And he did this often. And the disciples believed that he knew what he was doing. So they obeyed Jesus. Whenever Jesus speaks, it's a great word. It's a great word because it's from our creator, our king, and our shepherd. Do you take Jesus at his word? Do you obey even if you don't know what lies on the other side of obedience? Do you get into the boat only to let Jesus captain you to his desired destination when you don't know what that is? So the disciples obey, they get into the boat, and they set out for the other side. And as these experienced fishermen set out across the lake, they encounter a great storm. The winds howled and started to create these massive waves. And these waves started to crash into the boat, fill it, And if the waves didn't stop, the boats would eventually sink. The disciples were on the precipice of death. They could easily die on the boat that Jesus had just told them to get into. And this had to be absolutely terrifying. Remember, these weren't inexperienced boaters. They were very experienced. But this storm was so large that it brought them to their knees. And they couldn't master their way through it. They could not get to the other side unless somebody intervened. So the boat rocked, the waves crashed, and they were minutes from drowning, again because Jesus told them to get into the boat and go to the other side. Have you ever been in a boat where the waves are crashing? Have you been on an airplane where the turbulence is super high and you think you're just at the mercy of the wind? Have you been in a storm of life because Jesus told you to go and you obeyed? Being on the precipice of death exposes where our hope lies. But more specifically, the precipice of death exposes what we believe about God and about Jesus. During this great storm, though, what is Jesus doing? Well, he's taking a little nap. He's sleeping in the stern of the boat, completely unfazed by the storm. And though fully God, Jesus shows the fullness of his humanity in this moment, because he too was tired while on earth. But as an act of trust in his Father, he slept, knowing that the Father would indeed get them across the lake because he said so. He shows us what faithful, peace-filled obedience looks like. The disciples, on the other hand, are panicking. They reel in fear, Jesus rests. They scream in fear, Jesus snores. They handle the situation completely opposite of Jesus. 
And in that moment, they had forgotten Jesus' words of assurance, and they could only see the storm around them. They were blind to the power of his word and the power of his actual presence. And so as readers on this side of the story, you'd expect the disciples to run to Jesus and say, Jesus, save us. They had seen Jesus do miracles, teach with authority, and talk about the power of the kingdom of God. They should have known that he had the power to calm the storm. But instead, they come to him and said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And this question teaches us a lot about the disciples' faith. So let's look at a few characteristics of this question that show where the disciples were at. First, the the disciples question Jesus' plans. They think they're about to die. They say, we are perishing. So they come to Jesus and question his intentions. Why would you tell us to go across to the other side of the lake? Didn't you know what would happen? Was this all just a trick? What are you doing? How quickly do you and I question the plans of God? We think we have a clear vision of what he wants for our lives, so we step out in faith and obedience, expecting X, Y, or Z to happen, but then boom, something changes, something happens, and the plan is not what we expected. And instead of running to Jesus for guidance and strength, we accuse him of being unwise or not knowing what he's doing. This is true of me in both, the, in both the big and small things of life, both the big and small storms as well. And to be honest, I think this is most true of me in the small storms. It might be conflicts with coworkers or rejection from friends from sharing the gospel or just the general day-to-day stress of trying to live, be a husband, be a father. In those moments, do I ask God for help to be faithful or do I accuse him of putting me in that situation? Do I thank him for his presence or do I accuse him of being absent? Jesus modeled what a joy-filled reliance on the Father looked like even when things went bad. His friends rejected him, he was mocked and given over, and then he ultimately was sentenced to be killed. But he set his face continually on the Father, not complaining to him, but relying on him and asking him for continual strength. So next, the disciples really question his goodness towards them. They say, do you not care? In this, in this moment, the disciples do not believe that Jesus cares about their physical life. He's simply asleep in the boat, not doing anything tangible to help them. They were still figuring out who Jesus was in this moment. They were still figuring out whether or not he was the Messiah. But if indeed he was the Messiah, there was no way that he would let them die in that moment, right? Wasn't he supposed to deliver Israel from Rome and restore the kingdom to them? And if that was true... How could this be happening? But the disciples were concerned with the wrong things. They were more concerned with what they might be losing in the storm, their life, their kingdom, their power, than with what uh, was right in front of them. Jesus, the one who could actually give them true joy, true peace, and true life. When we question the goodness of God, what's in our heart? What's really at the core of it? Are we simply lamenting the pain of a hard situation and asking him to show us his grace and his provision? Or are we complaining that he is taking something away that we think will actually give us life? Then lastly, the the disciples question his ability to deliver them from death. Did you catch what they called Jesus? They said, teacher. At that moment, they didn't need a teacher. A teacher couldn't deliver them from the storm. They needed a savior who was strong enough to calm the storm. By calling Jesus teacher and not asking for for him to do anything, 
they were showing Jesus that they doubted his ability to save them. In moments of my great anxiety or fear, I often doubt God's power. I'm quick to think, well, he got me into this situation, and if he, if he let me be in this place, then he doesn't have any power to deliver me. And then I'll pray half-hearted prayers for deliverance, more out of legalism than actual true faith of what God might want to do. And when we think about this question, this question is actually a harsh question. It's attacking the very character and the heart of Jesus. It's attacking his wisdom, his goodness, and his power. But praise God that we don't serve a God who responds to harsh questions with, uh, with judgment, but rather he responds in mercy and in truth. And it's in Jesus' response that we learn a great deal about this teacher. Jesus responds with the third movement, which is a great rebuke. And he actually gives two rebukes. Jesus first rebukes the storm. He gets up and he says to the wind and the sea, Peace, be still. Now this is significant. In mercy, Jesus rebukes the storm first, not the disciples. They were the ones that had just questioned his plans, his goodness, and his sovereignty, and he had every right to rebuke them first. But as a kind father who is teaching his kids a lesson, he patiently and mercifully calms the storm first with his word. Now, there are many reasons that that moment, that three words, peace be still, is amazing and miraculous, but it's particularly incredible for two reasons. Number one, Jesus says three words and the whole atmosphere stops. It bows to him and it obeys his word. Jesus speaks and the storms cease. His word is great. His word is powerful and his word is salvific. And it's also incredible given the fact that the people of Israel often viewed the sea as demonic or oppressive. Jesus' word dispels the darkness and has complete control over the enemy. No one, no thing, and no power can stand against the word of Jesus. Jesus rebukes the storm through his word and saves the disciples from physical death in that moment. Jesus doesn't just rebuke the storm, he then rebukes his disciples. He says to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Jesus cuts right to the heart. He sees past the question and exposes what is in them. The storm revealed that the disciples' great fear was a sign of their great lack of faith. The disciples were focused on their own strength and what they were losing in the storm. Rather, they should have realized that Jesus' word and Jesus' presence with them in the storm changed the reality of the storm. Jesus' word assured them that they would get to the other side. Jesus trusted the Father and was able to sleep. Despite the storm, knowing that God was in control, that he was good, and that he cared. In the storm, we must remember Jesus' words. His words of truth, his words of promise that will sustain us. So what promises do you hold on to? What promises in the word can you quickly recall in the storm that can refocus your heart on what is true and what is good about God? Jesus was also present with the disciples in the storm. He wasn't absent or far away. He was with them. He is always with us in the storm. That is so significant that he is with us. He's not a God distant. He's not a God far away. But he's a God with his people. So we can run to him. We can rest in him. And we can find hope that he is with us. So after Jesus' two great rebukes, the passage, passage ends with the final movement, which is a great reckoning a reckoning of who this Jesus was and is. 
Amazed and bewildered, the disciples look at one another and say, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? They could not believe what had just happened. Five minutes ago, the sea was raging, the boat was sinking, and death was imminent. Then in an instant, Jesus says three words and they are saved. Saved from the storm that was going to kill them. No teacher could do that. No teacher had authority over creation. How could that be? They may have recalled Psalm 104.7, which says, At your rebuke the waters fled. At the sound of your thunder they took flight. This psalm is speaking of God. God being the one with the power to rebuke the waters and have authority over all of creation. So was this God standing in their presence? Was Jesus more than a teacher? Was he the Christ that had come to save them? This wasn't just a great reckoning for the disciples. It's also a great reckoning for you and I as well. Because the answer to that question is the most important question for all of us to answer. Who is Jesus? Who is he that can calm the sea at the sound of his word? And it's the most important question because we all stand in the same position as the disciples were on that boat. Death is imminent for us all. It might be tomorrow or it might be 50 years from now. But rest assured, it will come. And just to be clear, death is the great storm because of actually what lies on the other side. On the other side of death, you and I will meet God face to face. We will either meet him as a father, welcoming us into his perfect, joy-filled, eternal kingdom, or we will meet him as the righteous judge who will justly condemn us to an eternity apart from him. Your sin, my sin, all of humanity's sin has brought death into the world. And our sin separates us from God. And we can't stand in the presence of a perfect and holy king. We deserve punishment. And just as the disciples couldn't do anything to save themselves in the raging sea, you and I can't do anything to save ourselves from judgment. We can do nothing to atone for our sin. But there's good news. And the good news is the answer to the disciples' question of reckoning. Who is this that the sea obeys? He is Jesus. He's the word of life. He's the king of creation. And he's the one that came from heaven to earth to save his people from their sin, to rescue all of us from the great storm of judgment. Jesus did this by enduring the greatest storm in all of eternity, an unjust death, or death on a, an unjust death on a cross bearing the sin of all mankind. He willingly went through the storm of judgment so that you and I could be set free. And on the cross, Jesus spoke three more words, it is finished. Three of the most gracious and powerful words in history. These words mark the defeat of death and sin, and they mark an opportunity for new life in him. So how do you answer that question? For those of you that answer it by saying, Jesus is the one who set me free, be reminded of the sweetness of the, his grace. Be reminded of the sweetness of salvation that you have been given by his blood. And for those of you who don't know how to answer that question or who simply say, he's just a good teacher, let me ask you this. Who will rescue you from the storm? Who will rescue you from the storm of death? Who or what is your hope? Because if it's not Jesus, you don't actually have hope. But there's mercy for you today, right this very moment. If you turn from your sin and believe in Jesus, he will forgive you. He stands ready to forgive you. He took the wrath of God so that you could be set free. So let's close out our time together by focusing on four key points of application. Number one, hide the promises of Jesus in your heart. Because big and small storms are going to come. 
And no matter the size of the storm, we will be tempted to forget the words and promises of Jesus. Our fear will blind us from seeing things clearly. Therefore, when you're not in the storm, strive to hide the promises of Jesus deep in your heart. Read them, speak them to one another, memorize them. They are the food that all of our souls need when we are famished in the storm. So this week, practically, consider memorizing two verses that speak to the character or promises of God. For me, this is one of the verses that I'm going to uh, work to memorize this week. It's Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. It says this, it says, Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So let's hide the promises of God deep in our heart. Secondly, let's ask God to show us Christ when we're in the storm. Because God uses storms to teach us about Jesus and shape us to be more like him. Think about the disciples. They were questioning God's goodness towards them because the storm was raging. But little did they know he was using that storm for their ultimate good to show them that he is not only a teacher, but he's also the Lord of all and the ultimate savior for their souls. So ask God to show you both in the storm and after the storm what he wants to teach you about Jesus. Because anything he teaches you about him is so good. Because it's the food that we need. Cry out to him and ask him to reveal Christ to you when you're in the storm. Thirdly, remember that he is with you in the storm. If you're in a storm right now, remember that he's with you this very moment. He's by your side. He's not afraid of your questions your fear, your lack of faith, all he wants you to do is to come to him. Come to him knowing that he has more grace for you in that moment, more grace than you could comprehend. He is peace. His word and his presence can save and sustain us through any storm. We just need to come to him and sit. We need not do anything because he will do it. And then lastly, let's actively remind one another who Jesus is. We need one another to remind us, encourage us, and point us to the answer that the disciples, or the question that the disciples asked. Because when I'm in the storm, I don't have the eyes to see clearly. So point me back to Jesus. Remind me that he has won the victory. Remind me that he can calm the storm with the power of his word. And remind me that he has the power to save me both now, but ultimately forever. So in every storm of life, Jesus is the sovereign king who saves and sustains his people by his word. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are one who came to set us free. That you have defeated death, the great storm, and have brought us out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of the Son whom you love. God, I pray that you would help us hide the very great and precious promises that you've given us in our hearts so that in the storm we may recall and recount them. God, I pray that you would use us to encourage one another while we're in the storm to remind each other who Jesus is. And Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters gathered here right now that as they are in various trials of many kinds, God, that they would turn to you, that they would see you as a gracious, present king who loves them, who cares for them, and longs to show them mercy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.